Just a minute. It kind of looks like a baby. Come here, I'm gonna eat you. Fucking booking. And then your biggest fear, you, uh, the, the biggest disappointment of, of Get Raw. Get in my belly. They, they, they highlighted her last year at WrestleMania. She is hot as hell with oh, a incredible no. run inside the Rumble. And then no mention of Rhea Ripley. So last night we just get uh, coming soon with a little rock music behind it. Just like generic rock music, not the, this is my brutality. It, it might have been. I When I saw that and she wasn't, it, it's almost an entire month with no mention of her. That's fucking insane. <laughs> why, wouldn't you, why wouldn't you ride that wave immediately? You know, I, I got to thinking last night, is Rhea Ripley like the gold standard right now? Like potentially coming in? Like she is an entire WWE creation. She is a product of the Performance Center. She she is the female Roman Reigns. Like really, she really is completely a complete WWE property. And think about when she came in, how drastically different she is now. Well, when she came in, she was what, 19? Well, I know, I know, but you know, she was going for that bombshell. That, yeah, you know, the little blonde, and then she she buffed up. She went rock and roll, hard or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and she's got that unique look, something that like they've never had before. Yeah, the year between the first and second May Young Classic, and the difference in Rhea Ripley is stark. I mean, she's like you took the. She's almost like you took Kelly Kelly, China, and the Road Warriors. And she can work like Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, she's like an entire WWE-only property. Completely hand-built from the ground up. I mean, you can't even really say that about somebody like Charlotte because she came in with the name. Right. Oh, yeah, that was another thing. We had this five-minute exchange where Charlotte's having a breakdown with her dad, crying about how she, she just wants to be left alone. She, she can carry the legacy. <laughs> what? Uh, it would have been all right at two minutes, but then it's just like, okay. Went on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, kind of like this show. Just keeps going on and on. We'll see uh, how much we get through today because there's a lot of information here. And if it's running long, I will save something for next week. Works <laughs> for me, man. All right. Should we get MSG in here? The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. <laughs> This is your United States of America. Speak your mind. Cross the line now, say the truth. Why don't you take it back? This is Hitting the Marks. A podcast that's got topics for days, and it'll leave you in a haze. Hosted by two mother that like to talk about everything. News, sports, politics, pro wrestling, people jumping off buildings, taco shops, top ten lists, and more. 
It's got one guy who likes to get high on a lot of grass, and the other guy who got shot in the ass. And now, here's your host of the Hidden the Marks podcast, Jargo and RBV. Thanks, MSG. Hello, ladies and gaijin, and welcome to an all-new edition of the Hitting the Marks podcast with Jargo and RBV right here at the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media online, two feeds for your earhole enjoyment, hackerhameen.podbean.com, hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. I am the aforementioned Dr. Jargo. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend. He's not wearing the cap, but he's still in Cincinnati Bengals colors. He's the real RBV, Rick. Welcome back to your show. Well, first of all, you do not know if they are Bengals or Browns colors. But to go on, yes, the R with the with Richard Bronson Vickery back again, the Hitting the Marks podcast. Hey, I got to tell you, Jargo, hey, riding that wave from hashtag National Margarita Day right on into a Taco Tuesday. So you talk about all the, uh, the headlines and happenings around the world with you. But I am looking forward to for uh, another one of those tremendous RBV hashtag RBV fitness holidays. This Thursday is hashtag National Chili Day. National Chili Day. I assume that's a huge deal there in Cincinnati. I mean, with, with their Cincinnati chili. When you look, when you look at National Days, what better place to celebrate this particular holiday than Cincinnati? Uh, God's chili. One of the most God's iconic, chili. yes, <laughs> God's chili. One of the most iconic foods in America. Documented, proven, stat, fact. No matter what Dr. Jargo will have you believe, it is one of the most iconic foods in America. Cincinnati chili, and you better believe it. I'm going to have it every which way that you can. I'm looking forward to Thursday. Um, j- just a real quick update as we sit down to record 4.20 p.m. on the East Coast, and we have breaking news. This just in, police tell sources, or sources tell ESPN, Tiger Woods injuries not thought to be life-threatening. So it sounds like at least Tiger is going to come out of this accident. Huckleberry, I guess we'll go ahead. We'll jump into the weekend update brought to you by ChustCBDStore.com. Of course, enter our promo code HTM at checkout. You get 20% off on the finest in both vape and edible products. Uh, Rick, I woke up this afternoon, go out, kick on the news, see what's going on in the world, and it's all Tiger Woods. Uh, Tiger Woods involved in a, a terrible car accident out in Los Angeles. Sounds like he was by himself. He was out there just on a tournament. Um, thoughts with Tiger Woods, man, because I tell you what, that car is fucked. Yeah, I guess. Is, it, is this really the weekend update? Well, I, now. It, it's kind of the breaking news update brought to you by just CBD.com. No, I didn't know if we would hold this over for hashtag HTM sports, but uh, you're right. You know, immediately you know, my thoughts go to, you, you want to take that step back. You don't want to immediately jump to any conclusions, anything like that, but uh, you're hoping for the best. Cause you know, didn't he just have some surgery? He's had and five he, surgeries in the last year on his back. I mean, is the Tiger Woods story in our lifetime? Talk about iconic, man. I mean, he he basically, he is the face of golf. It's insane when you watch the television ratings. If Tiger is into it going into Sunday, the ratings go way up. Whether he's going to win it or not, even if he's just in the tournament, the ratings end up going way up. He has been the face of golf for 
most of our lives at this point. Probably, what, top three all time up there with uh, Nicholas and Arnold Palmer? I'd say, you know, talking about a generation and an evolution of a sport, I mean, absolutely, golf would have not have gone to that next level, be where it's at in, in the wide popularity if it was not for Tiger Woods. Tiger and Woods and Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore does not get nearly the credit that he deserves for bringing golf into the mainstream for our generation. And that's a half shoot. How many, uh, you know, a bachelor, uh, any kind of scrambler or scramble, the, the drunken run and drive? Uh, I think we've all been there quite a few times in our life. The price is wrong, uh, to, to, bitch. to pull off the uh, the happy Gilmore. But I mean, with, with Tiger, though, what's so unique inside of that is it isn't the that universal love as well, because it's it's really what it's kind of like uh, that Yankees kind of situation yeah. where they just, you know, you, either you love or hate. And it's almost the popularity when you see the increase in his markability, the ratings, whatever the case might be there. That is, it seems like it's even more driven by those that are waiting for him to fail. Yeah. Is it really was one of those situations when, you know, he did stumble when the marital problems and the, the affairs, the maybe the, the substance abuse that all came to the surface a lot of those people really relished in that moment. Well, and and the thing was, he was so fucking good. You know, I mean, like, very young into his career, people are talking, oh, the, he might be the greatest of all time. And it was really, really difficult to argue. I mean, Tiger was something so big at one time that he, he, I would, he was bigger than the sport. He was Michael Jordan. He had become bigger than the sport itself. And then to watch all the injuries just start compounding on top of one another. And boy, is he ever good. He might be, you know, this, he was so great, but he still had so much potential to be so much more. He could have been the goat, you know, it's almost like a Derek Rose kind of thing. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's far more now because he still is in that conversation amongst the truly greats of the game. What, what I really think is remarkable, and you're, and you're right, first of all, it speaks to in any sport, genre, business, whatever the case might be, just to be that good for that short of a time, how incredible that is, but to be able to, to hold on to that, to put that together, to create something, the longevity behind it, how incredible that is. Which, in comparison, when you look at something, you know, like what Tom Brady's been able to do in the short window of football, it, it really magnifies how great those accomplishments are. Yeah, but you know what? One thing Tom Brady never did, he never just became Tom, right? Like, th there's certain icons that just completely transcend that become, like, one-name people, right? Like, you had Kobe. You had Jordan. You had Magic. You had Bird. You know, Tyson. You know, like, you could just call up a buddy on, on a Sunday and be like, Tiger's playing. And everybody knew what you were talking about. Like, he was just, he was Tiger. He'd become like Madonna. Janet. It was ridiculous. You don't, you, don't think, you don't think you get that, you know, uh, Brady's on? No, no, not, 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 not to that extent. I don't, okay, I, and well, I think it's just because, because it's football. Because it, I was going to say because of the dynamic, just the nature of the, the competition. Or like, you know, to relate it to tennis, Serena's playing in the finals. Like people will be yeah. like, oh, shit, yeah, okay, I'm tuning into that. In, those are individual. Yep. And, and you're getting that spotlight on those individual accolades. 
you know, even in basketball, it's so different because we're we're up in their face. We we know them. Yeah, but like we're LeBron, football, even like the you can't just say LeBron and people are like, oh yeah, you know, everybody James, knows James the King. We you know those yeah. are, but in basketball, that camera's right up on them. They're visual because there are. There's less players, so you got less stars. That sees it's easier for them to shine brighter. Where football is that different dynamic. Baseball deals with that as well. Uh, but back to the golfing tiger, what he's accomplished there. What really stands out to me is, you know, you say someone like like a Jordan, but even with Jordan, it wasn't that long before Kobe came and, and took that role. That's true. How long has it really been? I mean, Tiger's still involved in the game, but he hasn't been that megastar. And there has been no one that's been able to elevate themselves to kind of claim that crown as the true standout, end-all, be-all icon face that runs the place marquee from the tee when it comes to golf. It's ridiculous because it's not that the media doesn't try. I mean, like, they try to build somebody up to that level, and then they just they, they can't sustain it. That was the thing about Tiger. He was so good for so long. You know, that it was just, he was just going through and just absolutely destroying people. But like even Rory McIlroy, as good as he is, it's not like he's going out there and winning three out of four majors every year. You know, let's have, let's have this conversation though, as you know, there, there have been some flashes. There are some tremendous players still out there on the PGA, but just not as dominant as Tiger was. Well, Ed, is it also, let's, let's go to the business aspect here and the marketing side of it. Absolutely. They're, they're not as tan as Tiger. Yep. yep. Where, I mean, you you had some like Eminem in, in the rap game. You know, as great as he, as he was, as he is, as he helped, you know, evolve the genre and all that, there was such a greater emphasis because, dude, a, a white guy shouldn't be doing this inside of this genre, inside the rap game. Now, you take that to golf – I mean, hell, I mean, that's unheard of there. I mean, you're talking right. about, hell, your your prize tournament, the Masters at Augusta. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where you could, a black male couldn't even be a member there. They held, they just, it, in recent memory, throw a rock, you know, just in your memory, they couldn't, women couldn't join there. Right. But you're talking about a good old boy country club network. Literally. Yeah. And that embodied that sport. And that was where you had that backlash. You know, how, how can this happen? I mean, who was it? Fuzzy Zoller. You know, after he won his first Masters. Oh, I guess we'll be serving watermelon and fried chicken. Yeah. It's crazy, you know? man. It's crazy to think how far <laughs> the world has come just nation, in that short of time. National media. You know, he says it's a national media. Insane. And I really don't believe that, you know, that Fuzzy had any villain, you know, Ill intentions with with his words there. He thought it was just how they really spoke to their, each other in those circles. Thought he was being funny, and that was not that long ago. Yeah. And to see uh, you know an African American black male to come and change the game like that for golf. Yeah, and, and you look at it, you know another sport like NASCAR, who has been so hungry for a competitor like that. If if it be a minority, if it be a female. So that they could try to capitalize on something like that. Yeah, no, all great points. Great points. 
How about you, Huckleberry? Did you do anything else over the course of the weekend? Anything exciting going on? I, I mean, for us here in Iowa, we're, we're just trying to dethaw. I mean, it's like a smoldering 46 degrees outside today. Um, the the entire state slowly starting to thaw out a little bit. How about how about you guys out there in Ohio? You guys getting any kind of relief yet? I will say, you know, over the weekend, it, it was a pretty chill weekend. As I mean, that is a little too chilly to really go out and do anything. Yeah, didn't you, do you, didn't even, you didn't even want to do the transition between like the front door and the car to whatever your destination might be. So it was pretty relaxed. It was getting a lot of work done with the Hameen Media Group, getting geared up for Elimination Chamber. Yeah, even going into that vent, there, you know, there was some interest there. Yeah, really do any it didn't really do any good food or anything. So it was a relaxed weekend. Yeah, it was kind of just a, a, a one of those weekends that was there. It was just kind of there. It didn't like really do anything. A lot of sitting around playing Sims on the computer, you know, trying to find motivation to do much of anything. Um, the Midwest, I don't know if it's like this in the rest of the country. But the Midwest, especially like the past like six, seven years where we have been getting these Arctic blasts, the polar vortex. I mean, I say here, I, I joke that it's, you know, a smoldering 46 degrees. You have to keep in mind that it was like 10 days ago that with the wind chill, it was negative 40 degrees. So we're talking like 80 degrees warmer just to get into the 40s. And... At a certain point, the Midwest is just like, okay, yeah, we're fucking done with this. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm fucking over it. Like, the whole winter thing, like, you know, November, it starts getting a little chilly. And then December, you start getting the snow. January, you get a whole shit ton of fucking snow. But February, February, for the shortest month of the year, it sure feels like the longest. Because it's just like, I'm fucking done with it. I just, I want catchers and I want pitchers to report to fucking spring training. I'm ready for, you know, give me at least like 40 to 50 degrees for a high, mid thirties for a low at night. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm fucking done with it. My bones hurt. My car fucking hates me. Like, can we just move on from this shit? Uh, you, you are right there. Uh, today, luckily here in Ohio, I actually got out today. Took a little walk up the street to a delicatessen. Got some lunch there. Sunny, beautiful. It's just below 50 degrees out here. Sun is shining, so it just feels wonderful. The snow is starting to melt. So you're starting to see a little bit of what you remembered was the green stuff. Uh, but I'm with you, Jarga. You're looking forward to pitchers and catchers. You know, Spring is right around the corner. I'm looking more forward to what car bombs, Rubens, and, and double shots of whiskey geared up for St. Patrick's Day. Hey, there you go. Yeah, that's right. That's coming up, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, so we talk about the weather in the Midwest. Weather in the Midwest getting a little bit better. Uh, let's go ahead and let's go down south and let's talk about what the hell is going on down in Texas as this entire process continues now. Um, Rick, so people are now starting to talk about this RTO. Uh, the regional transmission organization down in Texas. And I, I think I'm kind of starting to get a picture of what exactly is going on. Um, this happened again. Uh, we talked about it last week. This is not the first time this has happened. Uh, this also happened in 2011. And that's what got Rick Perry fired. 
because Rick Perry basically came out and said, we need to go out. We need to weatherize the state of Texas. We need to get everything in line. He wanted to spend a whole bunch of money to do this. And of course, when a Republican wants to spend a whole bunch of money in Texas, that Republican ends up getting fired. Uh, But the thing that is very, very strange to me, and one of the top stories that I have been following all weekend, why are we talking about Texas? Uh, The media would have you believe this only happened in Texas, and and that is not the case. That is not the case whatsoever. Um, There's another RTO that runs Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, the MISO. Here's a clip from uh, what's going on down there. We begin with the massive blackouts across our viewing area. Right now, power is being restored from the North Shore to the South. Our electricity strong arms, Entergy and Clico, were forced to shed power tonight. Missouri, they're part of the Southwest Power Pool RTO. Here's what's going on in Missouri. Blackouts by city utilities resumed unexpectedly this morning, but have since been called off. Joe Hickman continues our team coverage. She's live with more on what happened and why. Joe? We would certainly like more notification than we have gotten through this. This is quite a historic situation and a uh, kind of a disastrous situation at the same time that we find ourselves in, but we feel that we are handling this the best we can. That's because City Utilities is not its own boss in making those decisions. It's part of a regional electric grid known as the Southwest Power Pool, a wholesale market that coordinates the flow of electricity across 60,000 miles of transmission lines, spanning 14 states. Still with the Southwest Power Pool, Oklahoma, they're having problems there. Uh, Natural gas supplies continue to be an issue for uh, the electric generation sector. Uh, We're fortunate today. uh, We we did have some intermittent uh, interruptions this morning. Uh, but now we, uh, the Southwest Power Pool has taken the region back to a level one, which is uh, where we started this several days ago. So that's a very uh, positive step. Rick, and we've got rolling blackouts in western Iowa and in eastern parts of Nebraska, including Omaha. I couldn't find a, a media clip for that one. Why are we only talking about Texas? That's kind of been my entire weekend. Like, what the fuck? Why are we just talking about Texas? Why are we not talking about Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri, Oklahoma, Nebraska? What's going on in Iowa? Why are we not talking about this? And the only logical thing is Texas is on their own grid, and that clearly needs to change. Well, I think, you know, it goes a little bit further than that. You can't spell Texas without sex, and sex still sells. So when you're going to, you know, you're these manipulated media outlets and you're looking for your focal points and how you're going to, you know, twist and turn your stories here. And especially as you see now with this seems to be as we're talking about green effect, climate control, we're talking about how the the Democrats now are, you know, chiming in with their two cents. What what bigger achievement for them either to save or correct the great state of Texas? And unfortunately, there is a Texan who gave them plenty of ammo to go at them. We'll talk about the Democrats and, and what the hell AOC is doing in Texas here in a minute. But first, got to talk about Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz done fucked up. I, I mean, no matter how you want to slice this thing, 
Ted Cruz done fucked up. And if Ted Cruz had any thoughts of running as a presidential candidate in 2024, he can go ahead. He can hang that hat up because that is done. Uh, Ted Cruz taking off, going down to Cancun. And Rick, the thing that is so weird about this Ted Cruz story is that it's become such a story because while this has happened, you know, with uh, the, the mayor of Austin, this happened with the governor of California, the Nancy Pelosi at the hairdresser thing. This is a little bit different to me because even if Ted Cruz didn't go to Cancun, Ted Cruz is a state senator representing Texas in the federal government. There ain't a whole lot Ted Cruz could have done. Ted Cruz is not the mayor of any of the cities that are going through what they're going through. He's not the governor running the emergency alert systems. Like Ted Cruz is actually pretty limited as a senator as far as what he can do. But the optics to this thing are just fucking awful. Yeah, you get down to the actuality behind, I don't want to say antics, but, you know, his choices here, not entirely in the wrong, but you said perception is everything. Absolutely. And especially here, as you said, you know, this is something, this is a state issue. This is, these are for these local politicians, these governing authorities. But still, in that nature, he needs to be there for that support. Yep. He needs to be out there on the front line. Hey, just as easily you said, any you know, aspirations he had going forward, maybe if it be for the White House, hell, I'd even say anything inside of Texas, he could almost kiss goodbye right now. Uh, just a simple on the perception of what he's done here. And it is and what's completely would put the nails in that coffin is that you do see people like AOC out there with her feet on the ground. She is out there lending a helping hand. It, now we're going to get into maybe the, the madness behind her methods or if there's an alter, you know, ulterior motives going on, but still they are there. They are present. They are on the front lines. While you just don't have Cruz where he's not present. He's off vacationing. Yeah. They very, very bad optics. Ted Cruz, you know, you can now go into the pile with Andrew Cuomo and you can go into the pile with Gavin Newsom. And no, I'm not talking about that they're criminals. I'm talking about people whose political careers have basically come to their conclusion in uh, over the course of the last year, because all three of those guys had desires to be president and it ain't happening for none of them three motherfuckers. Uh uh-uh. The only thing that might save Ted Cruz is he's a Republican in Texas. I mean, that, that, that has a bit of a built-in fan base, even as much uh, as people are pissed off at him with what we're going to talk about here in just a couple of minutes with AOC, Ted, he's got that built-in fan base. I I really look at this though. This is probably that straw that, that broke the camel's back because these, these people, we, and we can dissect the situation, but the reality of is how they truly feel in the moment. They're hurting. Uh, They're confused. They feel lost. And to have someone that they have supported like that, a leader that's not there, especially when they're accepting handouts from what has been perceived as the ultimate enemies here. Yep. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, a great betrayal in, in uh, so many senses on the surface for, I'm sure for many of these Texans. And it will be interesting to see where he is able to kind of twist and turn this thing into the future. I am with you 100%. I think the, the political days surely numbered. 
somebody is going to be, he's going to be able to pick on, you know, pick up somewhere, some sort of celebrity here. Well, but I mean, you know, we talk about that and, and one of the things Cruz was very much like when Donald Trump got elected, there are some Republican members of Congress that their give a shit just got broken. And Ted Cruz is absolutely one of them. Like he has been very much more unfiltered over the course of the last four to five years than what he was prior. Lindsey Graham, very much the same way. Um, The thing with Cruz is he has become such a prominent name inside of the Republican Party. And I think Ted Cruz at this point probably hopes that a Republican gets in there and he actually just ends up getting named a Supreme Court justice. I think that would actually be a better position for Ted Cruz than it would be the the Oval Office. I just can't see him in that capacity at this point. And again, it's in his case as well. It just doesn't seem to have that it factor for the White House. And I know we can go round and round about with Biden, but you know, it, that is more of the anti-Trump machine. That's how he surrounded himself in, in hyping up ideologies. But Kamala that's the Harris. thing. The anti-Trump I mean, machine. That's exactly what it is, right? Because, Rick, here's how CNN reported the Ted Cruz thing. In the newest installment of National Lampoon's Winter Vacation, Senator Ted Cruz wanted to get there fast and then take it slow, leaving on a jet plane, making like Space Jam by believing he could fly. But now that this Sloop John B. adventure has come to an end for the newest Beach Boy, it's time for the autopsy. So let's begin here. Now, people inside of the Republican Party are going to be like, you know what? Fuck CNN. And immediately they're back on Ted Cruz's side because they report shit like that. That's the problem. It's the anti-Trump machine. And Ted Cruz, he is absolutely part of the anti-media machine. Well, in, in that case, then, you know, it will ultimately be up to his campaign efforts working alongside the right outlets, Fox News, to make sure that the story gets out there. But how many of those that are true to, you know, to the Trump side uh, that, that might ride it out? With with Teddy, you know, but he ain't going no higher. But how many of them are going to see that if if he wants to continue to hold any sort of a position of prominence? I just you know that that highest seat in the land. I think that's always been out of his grasp. Even if that has been a personal goal, he just doesn't have the the charisma, the ability to to rally enough of even his own party behind him here. You, You talk about the notoriety and his rise. And yes, as soon as Trump got in there, he seemed to kind of embrace those ways of Trump saying, okay, this is what the people want here. I'm good. You know, I'm like you said, he just tossed his, I don't give a fuck card out. I think what it was is Cruz is as much as anybody. If you go back in time a little ways, it's very much about the quorum. He's very much a constitutionalist. He, he likes the, you know, the process of everything. And he thought that he was untouchable when it came to that kind of a platform when you're playing by the rules of politics like ted cruz is like the premier politician like everything about him is politician and then trump just fucking owned his ass just absolutely fucking destroyed him because trump didn't play by the fucking rules well, immediately as, you know, Ted's up there, Cruz, Mr. Cruz is, you know, trying to go along by the blueprint, as you put it there. Where did he really come in? So where people really notice him is when he was tagged Lion Ted. 
Yep. Yeah, and, and, and he was just like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> you know? And and so, and Cruz is like, wait, so I can, like, it was like a light bulb went off for Ted Cruz and like Lindsey Graham, where it was just like, holy shit, we can get away with that? Let's do it that way. It, it, it took it took those debates, that moment where he's going by, he's playing by what he perceives to be the rules, looking at the blueprint laid out for him by his campaign, yep. everything that he's learned in politics up to that point. In, in a snap of the fingers, Trump Thanos him, just fucking owned him, mocking him, turned him into Lion Teddy. And then from that point on. Anyone that anything that came out of his mouth, all we heard was the, the parents from the peanuts. That's what Trump did. Yep. Just destroyed him. Just absolutely fucking destroyed him. And, it, and as Trump did that to everybody that stood up there on those panels against him, probably the the one who felt it the the greatest was Ted Cruz. Yeah. Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham. I would say they would probably be the two top ones. Um, but of course, you know, the Trump effect also gave us people like AOC and uh, AOC down in Texas. She's down there raising money. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, Rick, what the hell is AOC up to? Be- a- a- you know, because like I, I when she- you first heard that AOC was going down there and it's like, OK, that's cool. And wow, she's raised like three million dollars. She's raised four million dollars, five million dollars. And I'm just like, okay, okay, now you have my attention. What's going on down in Texas? That's kind of been my response. Yeah, it would, you know, the, the lady down at the food banks, just so aggravating that is, you know, to hear the, oh, everything's bigger in Texas, but that's a that's even a big donation. And we usually don't like New York, but we love New York. Fucking hillbilly bitch. No. <laughs> <laughs> Making friends in Texas today. I'm here to stick up for Ted Cruz, and you're calling them fucking hillbilly bitches. Oh, this one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this one, this one, got gotcha. Yeah. I mean, how many of them are there? They all, they all can't be gems, right? I mean, so this one, yes. You get you get into this thing here, and I love the the supporters of AOC that I, I've seen multiple places. For all of you that badmouth her, you have to respect her now because she's helping a red state. What the fuck does that got to do with anything? Right. If she's a good giving person, shouldn't she be helping anyone? And I really want to get to the root in all this. I know you got some breakdown, some numbers, these groups behind this. Who is really fanning these flames? But again, when it ultimately comes down to AOC, I found that one clip. It was just under two minutes that exposed every bit of her business. And this is a propaganda act where they're not really talking about actual issues, the problems with the power grid, the being unprepared for situations like this. This is to push a green climate change agenda that the left here ultimately wants to put a rocket up up its ass and run with it. Yep. Let, let, let's go ahead. Uh, I guess I'll, we'll, we'll run them sequentially. I have a AOC clip, too. Mine is actually a couple days old. This is what AOC was saying when she first got down to Texas. Texas Democratic Representatives Sylvia Garcia, Sheila Jackson Lee, as well as New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who stressed the need to support those who are still suffering in Texas and address the issues that helped contribute to the crisis. When disaster strikes... This is not just an issue for Texans. This is an issue for our entire country. 
and our whole country needs to come and rally together behind the needs of Texans all across the state. And, you know, as was mentioned earlier, disasters don't strike everyone equally. When you already have so many families in the state and across the country that are on the brink that can't even afford an emergency to begin with, when you have a disaster like this, it can just set people back for years, not just for days. And so we have tragedy in this state. We need to rally around the state. We need to rally federal support for Texans and the state of Texas. And we need to make sure that we make short and long-term policy decisions so that this kind of devastation, preventable devastation, never happens again. By the way, the group also announced that they've raised more than $3 million so far as part of their relief efforts. And then shortly before we started recording today, Rick, you sent me this other clip that this is from today, right? I believe so. It's, it's recent. Okay, so this would be from Monday, Tuesday. So let's go ahead. Let's run this clip, too. So many of us have been caught in a disaster in one way or another. And very sadly and unfortunately, climate change is making these kinds of disasters worse, more frequent, and with a lot more intensity. And so, you know, just a few years ago, we had these devastating floods in the Midwest. We've been hit in New York with Hurricane Sandy. You know, we had Harvey here in Houston, and now we have fires in California, freezes. It is sad, but this is part of our new normal as a country. And we're going to have to really get really good at responding to these disasters swiftly and effectively, and also making the infrastructure investments necessary to prevent these kind of catastrophic uh, chain impacts from happening again. And frankly, you know, that is what the Green New Deal is all about. It's about really putting people to work, creating 20 million jobs in this country so that we can invest in infrastructure. And by the way, make sure that low income and communities of color and white working class communities aren't left behind. Because if we don't make these kinds of investments, then the wealthy, the privileged and the powerful get to keep their lights on and everybody else has to go weeks, days, or in the case of Hurricane Maria, months or even a year without power. And so this is about equity. This is about acknowledging the, the reality of climate change. This is about protecting people. And it's about creating prosperity in the first place. And so we have to really, all of us, that is why what's happening in Texas is important to our whole country, because it's a freeze here this week. It could be a freeze in California next week. It could be, you know, a, another tropical storm or hurricane in New York in a couple of months. This is about all of us and how we're going to collectively answer climate change. You're exactly right. This is about the Green New Deal. And more importantly, this is about trying to federalize the entire power grid. The, the, the Democratic solution to this problem in Texas is to make the problem that's happening in Texas happen everywhere throughout the United States simultaneously. That's their solution. We need more. We need more government. We need the government to basically completely take over all these RTOs and become their own RTO, essentially, and have the government be the ones in charge of the power grid and yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that whatsoever. This is the, the same scare tactics and manipulation that they're, that you're using when you see the cases with the vaccines. Uh, it is the distraction game plan that you are seeing with his BS $1,400. 
It is big brother government. It's let us run this here. And if something falters, it's okay. We will financially be there to take on your responsibility and burden. And again, this is going to end up with individuals who are not looking at big picture, who cannot see the forest through the trees that are going to be taking like total schmucks. So I, the AOC thing, when she first got down there, I was like, uh, and that, it, cause of course it corresponded directly with the Ted Cruz thing. And I'm just like, uh, the media is going to be nauseating about this. And then the, the, the narrative changed for me because I started hearing about the, the dollar amount that she was actually attracting down there. Um, at last I heard, we were talking like $5 million. And I'm like, okay, so where's the fucking money going? That was my immediate thought. Um, I found uh, a report from a Houston public media. The money is going to go towards several organizations, including the Houston Food Bank, Family Elder Care, Feeding Texas, and the Bridge Homeless Recovery Center. Those are the ones that are listed. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. But like, where's the money actually going? Like, if I donate to this cause, I mean, it's not like I'm walking up to AOC with 20 bucks and being like, you know, hey, split this up and give it to all these different organizations in Texas. And so I started looking into it a bit further. And, and Rick, this is all running through Act Blue. Um, and for those who don't know, Act Blue is basically they're a, supposed to be a grassroots fundraising website. That's what the actual agenda really is. They don't uh, endorse any candidates, even though both of their co-owners do. Uh, the organization is open to Democratic campaigns, candidates, committees, and progressive 501c4 organizations. Uh, they pay a 3.95% credit card processing fee, and then it's kind of like a GoFundMe, but for a political organization. Uh, this thing was founded in 2016. The first couple of years, they raised $19 million from 2004 to 2007, right? $17 million for the, the 1,500 candidates. Rick, by 2018, Act Blue pumped out $1.6 billion to Democratic candidates um, from January 2017 to October 2018. Beto O'Rourke raised $45 million through Act Blue to run against Ted Cruz, to lose to Ted Cruz. He spent $45 million that all ran through Act Blue. Um, this is a little bit concerning because... As a nonprofit, I don't think there's any way to actually track where the fuck the money is going. And Act Blue isn't even necessarily the problem uh, because I have the same issue when you go to donate to Black Lives Matter. It runs through a special interest group that's called the Blue Line. Uh, the Republicans are just as guilty. They've got all kinds of shit that is exactly like this. But there's not any good way to follow the fucking money because it all goes to this quote unquote nonprofit that's raising $1.1 billion for only one side of the ledger. Like, this is absolutely fucking ridiculous. On the day that George Floyd passed away, they raised $19 million for Black Lives Matter. 
When Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, this one fucking kills me. They raised $30 million. Why? Thirty For what? Where the yeah, well, fuck I mean, did the $30 million go? What in the fuck are you donating to? Yeah. Yeah. So what is this? Just like her, her favorite charity organizations. Uh, again, here's your bigger issue. Well, one is you're reading these numbers and what they're able to raise here. We're in the wrong business. No fucking shit. Right. Here we are schmucks, you know, trying, trying to build a brand by, by building social media platforms by, you know, these bigger celebrities than us and podcasting and look at these numbers. Simply incredible non-profit which means they also pay zero taxes that, that, that could be another conversation an entire another show inside of itself <laughs> how criminal it, it is that we have these non-profits and, and believe me and, and as you said drugger that comes from left right north south every direction these special interest groups churches whatever the case might be and it, it's it's bullshit the bigger issue here is the exploitation we're talking about AOC here. All she was, she was their mark. She's the face of the green new deal. She is the face of federalizing the entire power grid and giving, you know, all control to the federal government. Don't worry. The government will just, they will absolutely do the right thing by you and your power. You bet. Build back and even, you know, when she speaks there and believe me, you know, in in prepping for this week's show and any time that, that, that her name comes up there, you just listen to her. You, yeah. you talk about being handed a script, teleprompter, learning, learning what you're going to say. She doesn't know any of this. She's being, she's being fed this. And there is. When she a, ran for Congress, she literally answered a casting call. She is like the, the premier example of special interest groups puppet. And, and you just hit, you just hit it right there. You hit the mark. These special, these special interest groups. And how they are able to operate and twist and turn and manipulate at every corner of, of what they're not supposed to be doing. And that's what we're ending up here with this act, Will. Just absolutely ridiculous, man. Just follow the money. That's all you got to do. Just Yeah, but in this case, it's taking you through like a corn maze, yeah. uh, um, you know, uh, the Hall of Mirrors. Yep. And unfortunately, it's it's damn near impossible to figure out where each of these trails, you know, where their final destination is, not even where the final destination is, but you know, who's picking up bills along the way. Well, we know who's picking up the bills and now we also know that they control the weather. Rick, did you, did you see this article I sent you about China now planning to control the weather? And it sounds absolutely ridiculous, right? China, China's massively expanding its weather modification program, saying that by 2025, they'll be able to basically have artificial rain, artificial snow. They'll be able to basically just, boom, produce it, make it rain. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but, you know... It, Going back to the derecho last summer, um, I, I've kind of been on this kick about the cloudbuster, and I've been trying to tell people about the cloudbuster. It sounds to me like China has basically figured out how to use the cloudbuster. What do you think? Am I just absolutely insane here? What what really jumps out to me is, you know, how progressive they they have been, and they have aggressively been pushing with this technology. 
for years. Well, not even, I mean, but you know, we ourselves, we have certain things here where we can manipulate our, our close surroundings. You know, something as simple as a local ski resort. Yeah. What's, what's so amazing about this is, is the overwhelming maximum capacity that this could actually have on their country. I mean, what, what is it? Something was like around 25% or something like that, that they could cover their, of their, but I guess my question, we're, we're so concerned about climate change. We're so concerned about, you know, the, the weather changing and the, the planet getting who, cooler. Who is? Right. And, and, and now you're telling sure me. Is, sure as hell, not China. Yeah, now you're telling me that the Chinese can control the fucking weather? You know, and, and it's not that this is the first that we've heard of this thing. Wilhelm Reich. 1897 is when this guy was born. He died in 1957. He was working on the Cloudbuster all the way back then. Organ energy is present in the atmosphere. And if you can manipulate that, then you can manipulate whether it's going to rain, whether it's going to snow. And if you have that power, we can do away with droughts in the Midwest. We could bring, you know, instead of the desert, we could just, you know, turn it into a rainforest. Think of all the great things that we could do if we could just control the weather. And now, and now the Chinese are planning on being able to do this globally within the next four years. To, to get within the next four years, some of the stats here on this story <coughs> that, are, are, that are really incredible when you talk about how, you know, what they're looking to achieve here, that in that five years, four or five year span, they want to be at 2.1 million square miles of their existence. That's, that's 56 of their entire surface, 56% of the entire Chinese surface. That's insane. That, that to me is incredible. That's insane. But you could also use that as a hell of a weapon. Well, I mean, but China's, you know, it says, you know, here in the story as well, why they are the leaders. They are the most aggressive with this. They're one of dozens that have been, you know, tinkering and trying to advance the science. Oh, yeah. They, they, they've been working on this for 100 years. Literally. It's scary, man. Because you watch all this shit happening, right? Like, you, you see all these storms happening. It's like, okay, what's climate change and what is just, oh, well, let's give it a shot and see if it works. Well, again, in human nature, and everyone acts like, you know, that this is something new and something that we should absolutely fear. And it's, it's because of how it's being ballooned and just being hyped up over hyped up. I mean, as you know, just talking about, I mean, we, we generate, we, we create snow and, and water already. Uh, we have greenhouses. They've, how long have they been around? You know, for is no longer than anyone we know. Generations and generations and generations, they've been trying to manipulate those. Uh, going back to how we change the riverways or waterways or natural, you know, canyons, things like that. So it, it's nothing new out of the realm of the earth that it's going it, to, it, it itself is its own entity. It's going to change and evolve. Cosmic organ energy. Boy, doesn't that sound like a topic for ancient aliens, you know? Cosmic organ energy. Yeah, going to be following that story. That's, that's, uh, you know, it, it sounds important and scary. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Fucking weather changing and shit. Crazy. 
All right, Huckleberry, let's talk about the stimulus bill. I, I sent you the stimulus bill yesterday, all 519 pages. Uh, how much of it did you get through? I, 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 I let you down here. I only got through like 515. Oh, Jesus Christ, Rick. Jesus. So now got a couple of things going on here as far as the quote unquote stimulus bill goes. Um, Rick, Joe Biden did it. He invited me in. Joe, Joe Biden had this clip yesterday. I absolutely love this. Now, critics say the plan is too big. Well, let me ask them a rhetorical question. What would you have me cut? What would you leave out? What would you have me cut? Well, Joe Biden, I got a list. I got a whole list of shit inside of this bill that we can, uh, if, if we can sit down, if I could have a word. Um, and and I, I feel like it's important to put this disclaimer before I, I, I start going through this, uh, the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, some of these things might be good ideas. Some of these things might be things that we actually need to do. None of these things have anything to do with fucking COVID. They should not be attached to this bill. Some of them should be their own bill all in themselves, let alone part of a $1.9 trillion stimulus. Uh, Rick, some of this shit is fucking insane. You know, I think, you know, what we really need to look at, we're, we're talking about, we keep hearing about term limits and political fundraising reform, donation reform. I think what we really need to look at is bill reform. My like everything, God. Like everything has to be like, you can only cover like one or two items and keep it under 50 pages. Yeah, right? Like, th this is insane. Uh, the Wall Street Editorial Board estimates that roughly $825 billion is directly related to COVID inside of this bill. That means one trillion with a T was expansions of progressive programs, pork and unrelated policy changes. Want to kind of uh, walk you through a couple of them that stood out to me as I was going through this thing. $470 million in the bill for the Institute of Museum and Library Services, as well as the National Endowment of the Arts and Humanities. Now, that might not sound too bad, but you look, you know, at the Institute of Museum and Library Services, fiscal year 2019, their budget was $230 million. We're going to give them $200 million underneath of this. Fiscal year 2019, the budget for the National Endowment of the Arts and Humanities, their entire budget was $253 million underneath of the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. We're going to give them $270 million. Dollars, More than their entire budget for fiscal year 2019. Do those need to be in the COVID relief bill? Uh-uh. Nope. Nope. We're going to go ahead. Uh, Joe Biden, let's sit down. Let's cross them out. Go ahead and get rid of that. We have uh, $1.5 million earmarked for the Seaway International Bridge, which connects New York to Canada. What? Oh, oh, this is Chuck Schumer's pet project. So the, that's why this is squeezed into this bill. Nope, 
No, that, that ain't got nothing to do with COVID. We can go ahead. We can get rid of that. Uh, we have a $100 million underground railroad in Silicon Valley. Guess what? This thing just, it just happens to end at Facebook headquarters. Yeah, $100 million for that. Yeah, no, we, we, we can scratch that out of the bill. Uh, $50 million for places like Planned Parenthood. Yeah, nope, nope, that, that doesn't need to be in there. $50 million for environmental justice grants. What the fuck is an environmental justice grant? I mean, I have a daughter named Justice. Can I get some of that $50 million? No, $1,400. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have $852 million in here for AmeriCorps, AmeriCorps Vista, the National Service Corps. I mean, you know, including $9 million for the AmeriCorps Investor General to conduct oversight and audits of, you know, the, the entire thing. So basically, $9 million to do whatever the fuck he wants to it. They also received $1.1 billion in fiscal year 2020 from different appropriations. We have $30 billion for public transit agencies. What the fuck's that got to do with COVID? We have $1.5 billion for Amtrak. You got to have both of these. You got to have your public transit and your Amtrak to move all those places where they're not allowed to go. Is Amtrak still a thing? I love the Amtrak. Uh, I I, I don't understand why they need $1.5 billion dollars. I, I don't understand why they need anything inside of this, but hey, I, I will. Uh, anybody out there from Antrac, you know, listening, you want to come on as a sponsor, I'll give you a full RBV endorsement. I, I enjoy taking Antrac. I ride it over from the Cleveland area to Chicago when I go to the Windy City. Crazy. Um, this is one, you know, that people like to argue with me about. I, I, I just don't support this, Rick. I just don't. $800 million in food assistance to other countries. Yeah. $800 million in food assistance. And it's so general. Uh, are, are we just, you know, is this TV dinners? I mean, you uh, know, is it helping? Is it, is it like to their factories? Is it helping their farms? You know, I, I, I bet you the people in Texas would like some food assistance right now. $800 million well, worth of, you know, that buy a lot of water. Uh, how about some assistance for the people in the food service industry? Yeah, right. Uh, $50 billion for Obamacare. Yeah, because we've got to bail that out. That's pretty fucked. It's a good thing that, you know, we got Obamacare attached to COVID. That makes complete sense. Uh, We have $86 billion in union pension plans that we've got to bail out. $86 billion. $350 billion to bail out broke-ass fucking states like California and New York that have completely fucked up their entire economies. Yeah, we can we can go ahead. We can toss that out. That's one of those things. Maybe we can talk about that as its own bill. It's $350 billion fucking dollars. That's its own bill in itself. Kind of like $129 billion for schools and teachers unions. You know, this is all about COVID. It's all, we got to get our schools open, but we're going to, we're going to keep on, we're going to just sit on this money until 2028 so that schools can plan for the future. Uh, that, that comes up to roughly $843 billion, which still leaves it over a trillion dollars if you cut out everything that I just told you about. Over a trillion dollars. Wow. Uh, but where's my $1,400 check? Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, you go back. You know, where's my 
in a hundred. And you go back to that top line. Oh, you know, we're getting this much for, for COVID. And that's what it's all about. And that's where people stop. Oh. oh. They are spending as much money. What I told you about, they are spending that much money, just about almost identical on COVID itself. The other $1.1 trillion is shit like what I was just telling you about. And that, again, I'm not saying some of this shit doesn't need to happen. Because it does. But they're their own bills. This should not be attached to COVID relief. And one should not be dictated by the other. And we didn't even talk about the $15 minimum wage increase in there. And what that's going to do to the job market. Because it's not good. It's not good. You're going to lift 900,000 people out of poverty. Oh, that's great. But we're going to lose another one and a half million jobs in doing that. Well, and, and, you know, as a side of itself, you're and they continue to go back to this thing. And, and I've, I've had this discussion dozens of times with individuals. How long do we sustain that where before the poverty line curves again? And, you know, absolutely they're going to do that. Unfortunately, you're not pulling the bottom up to the middle. You're pushing the middle down to the bottom. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Well, it's science. It's impossible to have a middle and top. Yeah, there is that. I'm not a fan of science. I'm kind of over the whole science thing at this point. I, but that's it's a fact, though. I mean, you, you cannot have a middle and top. Jargo, when did you lose faith in science? Yeah, about you know. 15 days to flatten the curve just about a year ago. <laughs> remember hey, that? Speak- Two weeks to flatten the curve. You remember that shit? Yeah. Uh, that speaking of, you know, we were talking about St. Patty's Day. That, that kind of marks the anniversary of, of our shutdowns. Yeah. Quinn's last day of school was March 13th, Friday the 13th. That's the only reason I remember it. They, they got us uh, right here in Ohio right around then because Indiana stayed open for St. Patrick's Day. So everyone kind of rushed over there and then uh, they got, I want to say St. Patrick's Day was either the very next day or two days after Indiana shut down. Fucking crazy. And, and they were one of the holdouts. Crazy. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, um, uh, what's that word? Uh, uh, Chuck, can you help me out? Donald John Trump incited the erection. Ah, uh, yeah, the, the erection. Let's talk about the erection um, that, that happened on January 6th. Had a little bit of a, a, an update as far as news goes. Uh, U.S. Capitol Police has confirmed uh, that the Office of Professional Responsibility is investigating the actions of 35 police officers on January 6th, the day of the riot at the Capitol, and suspended six officers with pay. Statement from the department reads, our Office of Professional Responsibility is investigating the actions of 35 police officers from that day. We currently have suspended six officers with pay. Acting Chief Yoganada Pittman has directed that any member of her department whose behavior is not in keeping with the department's rules and codes of conduct will face appropriate discipline. So we have 35 police officers there, Rick, that are currently under investigation 
for the events of January 6th, you would think that would be bigger news. Like, you know, the, the Democrats were all crying that they wanted justice and that we had something had to be done about this. Well, something is being done about this. Uh, investigations are ongoing. And it's like radio silence, man. You got to go digging for this shit. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, different layers to this story. I mean, as you turn on, you know, as we're recording here on Tuesday, I went to kind of go, you know, get get my final my final prep on for, for the show. And I kind of scan, scan the stations and, and try to get a feel for what the viewpoints are thinking. And, you know, everything today is they're talking about these these hearings over this, though. But inside of, as they continue to talk about, you know, who is responsible, who should have been protecting them, so forth and so forth, you're not really hearing these finer details like this. It's a little bit concerning. The The other thing that's concerning is it was just a week ago that they went after Donald Trump and tried to remove him from an office that he had already left. Um. And, and the entire impeachment that took place around, uh, what was that again, Chuck? Donald John Trump incited the erection. Yes, uh, the, everything that took place around the erection. Um, Rick, one of their, their big points, one of their big pieces of their evidence was Capitol Office police officer Brian Sicknick. Uh, was killed with blunt force trauma when somebody that was part of uh, the erection, uh, yeah, I did that on purpose, when he hit him with a fire extinguisher. And now the autopsy has come out, and it has come out to be, that is not true. That is not true whatsoever. It, It appears that he had asphyxiation from an allergic reaction to being like maced or something. Somebody sprayed something at him and he choked to death. He was not hit with a fire extinguisher. It was not some brutal like bludgeoning by a Trump supporter like the media would make it out to be. The New York Times now issuing a, a retraction on the entire story. Um, Rick, this was one of the pillars of the entire impeachment. And it's it was bullshit. Well, I mean, haven't we seen this as a, a reoccurring theme and it is unfortunate when you hear of any individual under any circumstance losing their life. Uh, but doesn't this been the MO for the left here is to immediately take uh, an easy visual first report and completely run with that. And even you can retract all you want. First impressions are what are lasting. So the consumer, an overwhelming majority up into you know 80% and more, they're only going to remember. And when it comes to sourcing back to however they feel in a certain situation, it's going to be that initial report. And we've seen this across, across the board when it comes to the left and how they're dealing with these situations. And, and ultimately, you know, how does come out and talk about, you know, what the Black Lives Matter. You know, it uh, initially it wasn't a knee that killed anyone. It, maybe that wasn't didn't help along other conditions, but no, right. it ultimately is not a reasoning. Right. Well, it, the entire reason that Joe Biden ran for president is bullshit. I mean, Joe Biden has said several times that you know the moment that he decided to run for president was the moment that you know Donald Trump said there was very fine people on both sides. A clip that has been debunked so many fucking times that I, I I can't even begin to count. 
You know, it, it, it's absolute fucking lunacy, man. Hey, absolute I, I do, fucking lunacy. I, I do want to get in there as we talk about the erection. Donald John Trump incited the erection. Anybody out there, if you're having problem with your erection, then you can help out our friends over at the two-man power trip by visiting bluechew.com, and they're going to hook you up with an entire month supply for free. Yeah, that's an entire month supply of bluechew for free when you use promo code EMPIRE. Wow, you know what? You are so good at doing those plugs. You should do the Hummy Media plug. What would that be like? The following announcements have been paid for by the sponsors of the Hameen Media Group. Hameen Media Group brand management is taking over. Social media, video, audio, design, marketing, and more. HMG Brand Management is proud to be partnered with Vince Russo's The Brand, Stevie Ray TV, Rip Rogers' FR Podcast, Goldilocks, Big Vito Brand, The A-Show starring Aaron Stevens and April Hunter, The Two-Man Power Trip, and now, Angelina Love in Velvet Sky, The Beautiful People. Search for all of our HMG brand management partners on your favorite podcatchers, YouTube, and of course, Patreon. Support your favorite HMG ring veterans by visiting ProWrestlingTees.com, Dr. Man Beast Ted McNailer, Freak God Papadon, SCG Search from Big Sal, Chris Silvio, Stevie Richards, and of course, the Ayatollah himself, Ben Hameen. Hey, bro. Wake up with the official Vince Russo coffee from Broaster's Coffee. Medium roasted, Nicaraguan blend with chocolatey notes and a smooth finish that'll have you ready to go, bro. Available only at thebroasters.com. For a flavorful hashtag RBV fitness foodie experience, visit zorosoliveoil.com. Zordos Ultra Premium Extra Virgin Olive Oil is exclusively sourced from the Zordos family private 100-year-old olive groves in Greece. Taste the difference and visit ZordosOliveOil.com today. StevieRichardsFitness.com For the most affordable and effective home workout program that'll give you results, real results. 12 and 16-week resistant band programs are available for instant download now at StevieRichardsFitness.com Russo'sBrand.com where the pros are pros, bro. Get the most valid takes in wrestling from the pros who live it. Visit Russo'sBrand.com. Subscribe to Hacker Hameen and Hameen Media Group on Podbeam.com and visit Patreon.com backslash Hameen Media Group. We now take you to your featured HMG presentation. All right, Huckleberry, let's talk some HTM sports. And, and I tell you what, man, this is another one of those weeks where I was just like, what in the fuck are we going to talk about? Like, there is just nothing going on. And I, I, as I typically do on the weekends, I come into the bedroom on Saturday night and I kick on NBA TV and kind of go around the league, see what's going on. And they're showing this Draymond Green clip. And Rick, I, I sent this to you like promptly when I saw this thing. Uh, for anybody that hasn't heard it, Draymond pissed. I would like to talk about something that's really bothering me. And uh, it's the treatment of players in this league. To, to watch Andre Drummond before the game uh, sit on the sideline, then go to the back, and then come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him. Because when James Harden asked for a trade and 
essentially dogged it. I don't think there was no surprise or no, you know, there's no one's going to fight back that James was dogging it his last days in Houston. But he was castrated for wanting to go to a different team, and everybody destroyed that man. And yet a team can come out and say, oh, we want to trade a guy, and then that guy is to go sit. And if he doesn't stay professional, then he's a cancer, and he's not good in someone's locker room, and he's the issue. And we've seen situations of Harrison Barnes getting pulled off the bench. You know, DeMarcus Cousins finding out that he's traded in an interview after the All-Star game. And we continue to let this happen. But I got fined for stating my opinion of what I thought should happen with another player. But teams can come out and continue to say, oh, we're trading guys, we're not playing you. And yet we're to stay professional. At some point, as players, we need to be treated with the same respect and have the same rights that the team can have. Because as a player, you're the worst person in the world when you want a different situation. But a, but a team can say they're trading you and that man is to stay in shape. He is to stay professional. And if not, his career is on the line. At some point, this league has to protect the players from embarrassment like that. You know, we talk all of this stuff about you can't do this. You can't say that publicly. If you say that publicly, you're fine. Anthony Davis got fined, I think, $100,000 or something like that for demanding a trade publicly. But you can say Andre Drummond's getting traded publicly and we're looking to trade him publicly and he's to stay professional and just deal with it. But then when Kyrie Irving say, oh, my mental health is off, everybody go crazy about that too. Do you not think that affects someone mentally? As much as we put into this game to be great, to come out here and be in shape, to produce for fans every single night, and most importantly, to help your team win, do you think that doesn't affect someone mentally. But as players, we're told to, ah, no, you can't say that, you can't say this, but teams can. It goes along the same lines of when, when everyone wants to say, oh man, that young guy can't figure it out. But no one wants to say the organization can't figure it out. At some point, the players must be respected in these situations and it's ridiculous and I'm sick of seeing it. Y'all have a great night. I'll see y'all tomorrow or Wednesday. Rick, does he have a point here? I, I, I mean, I kind of feel like he has a point here. Like, why is it that the teams just get a pass on this shit, and yet if a player comes out and says, I want to be traded, he's the fucking villain. This is, it is kind of bullshit, and it is a, pretty much a double standard. And, I mean, even LeBron, just, just like when he made his comments, he was like, I, I don't really have any comments to make because I, I think Draymond said it really, really well. Like, I, I thought this this could be like a generational kind of clip. Well, I, I think you, you kind of hit, hit on the mark there again. We're talking about generations, right? We're, we're talking about something that's been embedded in the mindset of sports for so long. You know, before really – and this is surprising that it, it's kind of lasted this long – but before that, that truly incredible boom of free agency, you know, how many people do you would spend an entire, you know, career, not just with a team, but more so with a city? Well, and I so, mean, even that didn't even change that long ago. I, we, we were talking about things in the relative past at the beginning of the show. 
this whole era of player mobility and players just jumping around from team to team to team, especially in the NBA, that started with LeBron, right? Like the, the decision is what really jump started that. I, I do want to see, you know, in how he presented that, I think changed how we perceived the free agency. You know, the, the you know, this just isn't, was, wasn't a signing someone taking some big money and moving or whatever the case might have been disagreement with management, but him going to ESPN and actually, you know, them putting it up on that pedestal, putting that spotlight on it where it becomes its own, not even production, but spec spectacular of its own really evolved, especially how we viewed free agency in the NBA, you know, looking at the history of it though, what, you know, that major point that I'm trying to hit home, is from when the fans give that backlash or, you know, or, and the players are feeling that it's because truly the fans, they're the ones that are feeling betrayed. Like they're being stabbed in the back because it is, you know, the name of that city, that region, whatever the state, whatever the case might be, you're representing them. So they're feeling personal attack. And for the athlete, they're the ones out at the forefront talking about earlier in the show again here where the NBA is so much more in your face. We feel closer to those employees. We employees, those players we're more familiar with them. So there, there is going to be that stronger connection where the owners, they, they, you know, they usually are a step back. There's not a whole lot of that fan base that really, that goes into those finer details or really even understands that side of of the business or you know of the sport that it is a business and that's where you have that you know, we talk about how you know big game changers in sports hell you know it wasn't until the 70s that you really knew contracts and it yeah. was pete rose's contract when he left cincinnati and, and took another deal and that figure came out and it was like whoa, whoa these guys are making what and you and then you also have that perception as a lot of, you know, a huge portion of the fan base, they don't see this as a, as a business that these people are in a career trying to provide for just not themselves, their families in future generations. It's you know, how many times you hear, Oh, I'd go out there. I'd do that for free. Right. But no, you Oh, if you would, then you're a loser and you're an idiot. And you probably aren't very good. Just saying. Like the Joker said, if you're good at something, you don't do it for free. Absolutely. And and that's that's where it comes from. Now, is that fair? I guess that's up for debate. I I think what's really interesting is is we're talking it out here is you think about in how many more ways than just perceived loyalty – but how is free agency and players moving? How has it evolved all of these different games? What has it meant to television deals, to merchandise, general advertising, growth of the leagues? Yeah. It, it, it's especially the NBA. It's a lot smaller case study because, I mean, you know, live NBA games, shit, everything was on tape delay even when we were kids. You know, if you wanted to watch the NBA finals, you had to stay up on a Saturday night until like, you know, three o'clock in the morning to see the whole game because the damn thing didn't start until one. Yeah. I, even going back, you know, as you reminisce and you hear about the glory days, there wasn't, you know, 8 p.m. on a Saturday night magic and bird. Right. 
You let had to alone, wait after the 11 o'clock news to catch that. Let alone, you know, on a Saturday night, you know, there's 12 different games on. Just watch, you know, the highlight channel and kind of see what's going on all around the league. It's freaking insane. Well, you know, a lot of reasons, you know, out there in the Midwest, while, you know, it was the tradition and, and the fandom was passed down to you. But for, for Grandpa, all you got was the Yankees. You bet. On the radio. Back, you back bet. then, you know, in, in the 70s, there was a, a booming Cincinnati Reds fan base because they were usually one of you know the, the national games because of the big red machine. Yeah, and Grandpa even a lot went of back reason. further than that. I mean, Grandpa was listening to the Yankees on the radio because you know, right. the, the Yankees were a radio draw. Yeah, and, and it went coast to coast. That's why people were drawn to those teams. Yep. For for me and you, Duke. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because the rise of Duke. I mean, even in the early 80s, Duke stunk. It wasn't until Krzyzewski, like, really got that thing turned around there, you know, kind of after UNLV's run there in the late 80s, when Duke really became a national powerhouse. And it just happened to correlate with, you know, the CBS Sports and the Final Four. And you were seeing, you you put Duke on television because they're going to draw an audience. You either love them or you hate them. Everybody had an opinion, though, and everybody would watch him. Well, you know, talking, yeah, we're, I mean, this is like a, a full shir- circle show here. Uh, a lot with Tiger. Yeah. You know, it, it was okay. You know, at this point, basketball had become known as, you know, you had to have those, you know, the inner city, the black athletes. Yeah. And now you've got, you know, Captain White, Coach K, <laughs> with. <laughs> With uh, you know a the spoiled Christian white boy team, yeah, Christian know, yeah. That no matter what color the players were, they felt white, right? Right, and, and you can on record listening to the the Hills, yeah, and talk about it. You know how you know they would be called Uncle Tom's. Hey man, and you know what, Grant Hill. If Grant Hill wouldn't have got hurt, I think Grant Hill would have went down in history as one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, Grant Hill was freaking ridiculous. And everybody wants to talk about that Leitner shot. Yeah. Shout out to Eric Lake, our friend over at uh, Transfarm and right here at the HGM Podcast Network when Eric's EDM world, you know, his favorite shot in all of history when Christian Leitner buried the Kentucky Wildcats. Nobody talks about the pass. Grant Hill threw that pass and that shit was on its mark. Yeah, my favorite moment from that game was the stomp. Yeah. Good shit. Good shit. I love reminiscing about that game. Eric loves it too. Huckleberry, one last thing, I guess, to kind of wrap things up this week, because I thought it was interesting. Uh, the, the NFL schedule has been released for next year, at least who is going to be playing whom, um, regardless of necessarily what week. But that, of course, also brought out the strength of schedule going into next season. And Rick, you haven't seen this, right? Uh, this is a shoot for me on the fly. Um, this I thought was intriguing because we are both represented very, very well inside of this list. And by I say we, I mean the NFC North and the AFC North. Um, looking at the strength of schedule, it's going to be a battle next year. The toughest schedule in the league belongs to 
the Pittsburgh Steelers going into next season. Number two, the Baltimore Ravens. You see in a pattern here? Because it's the AFC North and the conference is really good. That's where the problems start to set in. Then we go to the NFC North, number three and number four, the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions. Yeah. Well, your your Bears fans that were, I don't want to say jumping ship, but we're just hoping for a new captain. Going to be a rough one. The year for them. Yep. And then guess what? We go back to the AFC North here. Cincinnati Bengals, number five on the strength of schedule list. And then number six, the Minnesota Vikings. So, I mean, just looking at one through six, it's just the quality of the conference that you're in, the AFC North or the NFC North. I I tell you what really jumps out to me is is you're listing the teams there. One that is absent, the Cleveland Browns will once again have an opportunity to capitalize on a, on a weaker schedule than their their conference foes. Cincinnati in there, that it's going to make for a, another rough rough haul. Uh, but thankfully, you know, they probably had seen this thing coming as you do know some of those games in advance. You know, you know, obviously you're built into your division and you know what other conferences, you know, your opposite conferences that you'll be measured up with, you know, those kind of years in advance. But, hey, the, the, the genius marketing ploy for all those people that went out and bought all those Burrow jerseys this year, you're going to have to do it all over again because the Bengals are releasing new uniforms this year. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I'm interested to see the helmets. That's the only thing I care about when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals. You can do whatever you want to the uniform. Just leave the helmets. Nah, well, it, you don't make any money off helmets. Valid. You make money off off the replica jerseys. Valid. Number seven, a bit of an outlier as the Las Vegas Raiders slide in at number seven. That one surprised me a little bit. Um, to round out the North, number eight, the Green Bay Packers. Number nine, the Cleveland Browns. So we have now... Okay, so they it, are in the top ten. Yep, we, we have gotten rid of two conferences. Just boom, the division is gone. Inside of the top 10. Kind of crazy. Number 10, the Houston Texans. That's right. So we're going to get the AFC South involved now. We have the Texans, the Jaguars at number 11. And then we got to bring in the NFC West, which is a pretty tough division. We've got the Rams and the 49ers in there next. Number 14 is the New York J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. That team is probably going to be awful. Number 15, Going out west again, we have the Chargers, 16, the Cardinals, 17, the Seahawks, 18, the Patriots. So we're, now we're just taking out the coast. It's, it's crazy to watch how these things match up just off the division, and you can kind of tell who's going to be playing who. And when you have the AFC North and the NFC North are going to play each other this year, they get all the top heavy, and, and now we're getting into kind of that second tier. Do you have? Uh, excuse me, if if you had said them here, where where do the uh, each AFC and NFC champs fall? Um, we're gonna get to them. We're gonna get to that. We have. I will do it all thirty two. Yeah, we we we, we I, I got the whole list here just because I thought it was interesting. Because guess who's at the bottom? What's the worst division in football? The NFC East. 
So yeah, that, that that's still coming. Sticking in the South, number 19, we have the Titans. At number 20, we have the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, this kind of comes into play because, you know, you have Denver in that division. You have the Chargers in that division. You have, who's the other one? The Raiders. Oh, oh yeah, the Raiders. Jesus Christ. It just, like, completely drew a fucking blank. Goddamn pothead. Well, you were you were trying to think of cities, yeah, and even even they don't know where they're at right now. Yeah, right. So you get the Chiefs in all the way down at number twenty, pretty decent path for them to get back to where they're wanting to go. Number twenty one, the Panthers. Twenty two, the Washington Professional Football Team. So now we have the NFC East has been introduced into things. Of course, we have the Washington Professional Football Team a little bit higher because well, you know the team's not as good. And then that's how that goes. Number 23, we have the Buffalo Bills. That that one kind of surprised me a little bit. That one surprised me a little bit. 24, the Broncos. 25, the Falcons. 26, the Dolphins. And then we start getting into the easy schedules. These are the teams that, you know, maybe you could look to see make, kind of make a move. Well, probably not number 27 because that's the New Orleans Saints. But being there, you know, inside of the NFC South, it helps out. But no Drew Brees, New Orleans is going to be one of those teams that's absolutely going to fall off next year. Number 28, the New York Football Giants. So they're going to be playing a pretty easy schedule this season. Maybe we could see them kind of make a move there inside of the East. Oh, wait, but there's still two more teams from the East to come on the list, even though we're all the way down to number 29. Number 29 is the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they have a pretty easy schedule. Of course, they have Carson Wentz coming in. The Colts are a team I could see making a run through the AFC because they don't have any like real good competition, and then they get into the playoffs and just completely lay an egg. I, yeah, as I'm looking at the path, hey, you know, it's all about just getting there, right? That was the motto of the playoffs: you just get in, yeah, uh, get into that wild card round, and it could be a wild ride. Anything can happen. If you look at the AFC South, obviously, more so what's happening with the weather is going to be very telling of the football team. It's going to be an absolute disaster with the Texans. Now, while there is going to be a lot of attention, uh, there's going to be a very sexy up-and-coming team in the Jaguars because they have got all sorts of camp room. They've got the hot mm-hmm. new coach. they got the hot hand with the number one pick coming in. Hey, and they they got the forbidden door. TK, Tony Khan, now he, they gave him a fancy new title. You know, everything's going to be all glamorous in Jacksonville. It doesn't happen that quick. It still takes a while to get people together, to get all those little pieces to the puzzle together, really have it positioned to see success. So they're still out. The Titans, you know, they could go either way. So, yeah, I mean, the Colts just could play into their favor. Yep, they're, they're absolutely sitting pretty. Number 30 on the list, Skip Bayless is going to be just fucking intolerable because the Dallas Cowboys are number 30 on the list. Dallas is going to be that team that you could see them finish like, you know, 10 and 6. And then they're just going to go into the playoffs and get fucking smoked because they didn't play anybody. And Dallas fans are just going to be fucking intolerable. It's going to be nauseating. Number 31, the defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The second 
easiest schedule in the entire league next season. Rick, that combined with a ton of camp room, the salary camp coming down, I get to play with Tom Brady, I can sign for like two years and live it up in Tampa Bay, strip club capital of the world. Rick. Hey, do you think, you know, real real quick there, you know, after Tom went and got number seven, he's partying there. Do you think that he reached out to Robert Kraft to come down and maybe get a massage? Donald John Trump incited the erection. I think Tom knows any places now. But, hey, what, what a rat bastard. Hashtag TV 12. You know, not only, you know, is he manipulating these other veteran players uh, to come do his dirty work for him, to lift him up. Not only does he have the, the, the officials in his pocket giving him every call, but now he obviously has bought off to schedule makers. Well, you know what happened? The NFC South stinks. And when you look at who the Buccaneers are going to play this year. They, let me guess. They, they drew the, let's see here, the AFC, the NFC East. Yep. And they are also from the AFC. They're going to play the South. The East. Tom Brady actually returns to New England oh. next season, um, which could be a whole lot of fun. But yeah, they played now, the AFC East and the NFC East. That's how they end up with the second easiest schedule. And then being inside of the NFC South because the division stinks now with Drew Brees leaving. Yeah. Uh, so then they'll also play Seattle. Right. And because you got to play the other two that finished on. So they'll play the other right. two first places, Seattle and Green Bay. Seattle and Green Bay. There you go. Uh, that, what's interesting there, they got the AFC East. That'll be fun. When, when you're setting dates, you kick off the season with that. Ooh. Do, do you go for it out of the gate knowing, I mean, because there's going to be huge. I mean, that is going to be a ratings rager. You talk about a serious way to get things going. And that's Tampa on the road. Yeah. Well, typically, typically the champs open at home. Yeah, that's what I was thinking there. Man, I, I would try to manipulate that if I could. Because, but you do want to have that celebration. It could be a bigger payoff, though, if you've got them both good late in the year. But there is that risk, you know, because where is where is New England going to be in their rebuilding? I was going to say, if you are the NFL, does it matter who's the New England starting quarterback is going into next season? Because I, right now, I mean, you, you could see them make a play for Jimmy Garoppolo again. You could have, you know, Jimmy G returning to New England to take on Brady like that. Yeah, that could be a whole lot of fun. He, kinda, he ran me out of town. Now I'm right. back. It's, but, you know, I, I'm here to claim the throne that it was promised to me. Or you could have the New England Patriots led by Marcus Mariota against, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that's not nearly as sexy on paper. Or, you know, Patriots go out there and trade for your boy, Jameis Winston. Yeah, oh my so God. he's there as a... Oh, that would be... Yeah, I don't think Bill will do it. After after dealing with Cam for a year, I don't think that he wants to deal with Jameis. But, oh man, that would just be... 
Oh, that I, would just be as I'm, I'm setting the actual dates on these, and you talk about the the tremendous potential to have that thing open up everything. You said it, it would be a bit of a swerve since they would be on the road. Traditionally, that's not what we have there. I, I would see you know for for the occasion with to see the major dip that you had in ratings. I would look for something like that. I guess what would probably be more practical because the game's going to have selling power, but you, I mean, he'd really love to have both teams fresh or good. So you're running that risk largely, largely, you know, of the Patriots still being down, but you know, it could go either way. I'm going to say that is your Thanksgiving night game. Ooh, that could be fun. I like maybe that. A, maybe, I like maybe, that. A, maybe you get one of those northeastern blizzards moving through. I like that a lot. You bet. Let's go with that. Uh, in the easiest schedule in all of the NFL going into next season belongs to the Philadelphia Eagles. Because, of course, they get the NFC South and the NFC least. Because, my God. My God, I don't understand how the NFC East got so bad. And what and what's so sad there is that division is so important for the success of the league. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you got Dallas, you got the Giants. Philly's a huge market. My God. And then, well, you, know, the Washington, you, know, Washington, you know, the Washington area. Yeah, but... They, I mean, it, how many Redskins fans do you know? It still has that pool and it still has a presence. Now, they are the least of that division. I mean, just as far as a brand goes throughout the country. Well, and now they're a lost brand. They, they don't right. even have an identity. But I mean, even as the Redskins, like, did you know any Redskins fans? I think I might know one. I think they, they had a bit of a run there. They they did, but it was like the early 90s. It's been a while. It doesn't help that the team has stunk for like 30 years. And RFK was falling apart, so they didn't get any kind of media coverage or anything like that. And then when they did get media coverage, it was always negative. You know, when we talk about franchises that you, instead of expansion about relocation, I know it's nice, to, you know, to say, you know, there is you know, professional sports based around our capital, but the logistics of it, I wonder how efficient that is. And ultimately, and you got such competition because of the success of the Baltimore Ravens. Right. Yeah. No, that's a valid point. That is a valid point. Hmm. Move the Washington football team. Let's, let's erase everything there. You know what? If you were offended by their logo, I'm offended by the not even town, the 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 area, the district that they represent. You know, we we talk about in the NBA. Clearly, the two markets that they're looking at are Las Vegas and Seattle. Those are the the markets that they would really really like. When you think about the NFL, when it comes to expansion, which uh, there not that there's any talk about it whatsoever. Where would you go? Like, I, there's not really, I don't feel like there's a, a, a big city that I'm just like, how is there not a football team in blank? Uh, I think that's, that's a fair point. And I'm not a fan of expansion 
really in, in any major sport is a, if we continue to water down our product. Uh, but yeah, it, just even in relocation. Yeah. Like there's, there's just not, I guess Toronto is probably the next market that they would be looking at. They've kind of flirted with it with Buffalo and kind of teasing moving to Toronto. Um, well, again, if, even but, moving so close, I mean, it, does that present one of the issues that we just talked about? And then you're just cutting into a huge chunk of already a small market with the bills. Right. Is there somewhere possibly, you know, closer to you in the Midwest? Or I mean, but that's already kind of eaten up. I mean, you you have a good distancing there, but you cover your your fandom, those fan bases there between St. Louis, the, maybe? The, the NFC North. St. Louis, that's, that'd be a good one because they have been they have proven just in, in the NFL, but let me look how so the support that they gave towards the XFL. Yeah. Now that's on a fan base though. But the right. reason that the teams continue to leave there is they the they city. have ultimately have trouble from the city and financial support. Oh, and I, I feel like we could probably do an entire show about the fall of St. Louis. I mean, when, when we were kids, St. Louis was kind of a destination city, you know, like, you know, Chicago. And now St. Louis is just the entire city is dying. I mean, just completely dying. All, all the, the businesses are moving the fuck out of St. Louis. And it's, it's kind of going more the way of Detroit at this point, you know, cause like Detroit used to be a destination city when we were kids and now it's just kind of dead. Well, good news, Detroit and Washington, we can't figure out any other cities worthy or that could support a football team. So you get to keep yours. Yeah. And, and, let, you know, the cities of St. Louis and the city of Detroit kind of be a lesson to, I don't know, a city like New York, because uh, people are getting the fuck out of New York faster than y'all can say woo-ha. Well, brother, uh, we've got everywhere, these big cities, people are, are going to the outlands, if you will. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the platform that you may not be listening to, whether it be the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, or Hameen Media Group, hackerhameen.podbean.com, hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. You can keep up with the show across all social media platforms at HTM underscore pod. That's right. I'm a goddamn professional. I remember our Twitter handle. You can keep up with me across social media platforms at not Jargo. I've been trying to use my Twitter a bit more, but, you know, I just... I'm, I'm real close to just giving up on Twitter, man. Like, I've already given up on Instagram. I don't really use Instagram for anything. I'm, I'm real close to just giving up on Twitter. Like, I just I can't get anywhere on it. I've been doing a lot better on Twitter. Uh, again, you know, Facebook's always that easy go-to, especially, you know, for businesses where I do a lot of my, my marketing. But just why? Easier reach. Why is Facebook still the go-to for businesses when Facebook has done everything they possibly can to get you to just pay money to advertise on Facebook and bury you in the fucking algorithm if you don't? Well, I mean, there's cheats around that as well, and it, it, it still is the most friendly for business purposes. I just had to bet there for it, a second. Is you're still trying to grow these other platforms. Still, So unfortunately, what is kind of built in there, it still continues to be the leader. 
Uh, but I have been I have been a lot better about going to my Twitter in large part because of my association now with the two man power trip and helping them build some of, of their projects. Uh, so, yeah, you can follow them at two man power trip on Twitter, YouTube, but most importantly on Patreon. You can get them at patreon.com backslash TMPT Empire. And we got a, a, a this this is an incredible event coming up Saturday, March 6, 8 p.m. Eastern. This is an incredible opportunity for aspiring young indie talent, promoters, super fans. We are presenting just, just $30 an hour plus you're going to get with one of the most legendary trainers inside the world of professional wrestling. Uh, a gentleman who is responsible for bringing you the, the greatness of Shane McMahon, the Bella Twins, Mark Henry, Kurt Angle, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Of course, I am talking about Dr. Tom Pritchard, and that is at the two-man power trip Empire on Patreon. You led with Shane McMahon? You led with Shane McMahon? <clears throat> Sent in a resume to WWE this week. Uh, but anyway, Tom Pritchard. Two-Man Power Trip Patreon, Saturday, March 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern. And Jargo, I know you touched on it a little bit here, but I, I want to emphasize that all the tremendous programming that we have on the Hitting the Marks podcast network, you know, I'm talking about we got Pro Wrestling Coalition. They're with us, right? We've got, of course, me and you. We've got, occasionally, we've got some horror stuff that will pop out there. We've got Eric's EDM world, and of course, our great friends to the north, Carl and Mighty Joe with Turnbuckle Talk. I just did a spot with them this past week. I I saw that you you did uh, their latest episode. It'll be dropping on uh, the HGM Podcast Network tomorrow. There we go. See, you you get more and more RBV. Uh, It was weird on, on Monday for the the pre-roll, the advertising spots, the two shows that I did, I was doing those advertising spots. <laughs> Crazy. Media whoring it out, man. Doing your thing. I like it. I like it. I have no motivation to do anything. None. Like, I, I have, like, the biggest creative block right now. It's fucking crazy. We will talk to you next week right back here on the Hitting the Marks podcast. I'm about to go eat me some motherfucking tacos. I can smell them from here. We will talk to you next time. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. You bad guy!